Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Today we're carrying on our First Peter Sermon Series. We're talking about suffering and smiling. Suffering, you know what? It's going to happen to you, but you can get through it happy. You can get through it well. God's not the author of suffering, but he's sure going to bring you through on the other side. Let's have a listen. We're going to carry on in First Peter, and I'm chuckling because we're, uh, we're actually going to talk about suffering. Everybody's favorite subject. Suffering, but I've called this suffering and smiling. And you know what? It is awkward as you work your way through a, a, a book of the Bible because you got to deal, like Pastor Carl said, you got to deal with what's in it, right? We don't, we don't have the, necessarily the, the privilege or the, you know, we, we have the intellectual integrity to be able to say that's in there. So let's find a way to talk about it. And let's do so in a way that honors God and invite the Holy Spirit to inspire the process so that we understand what he's really trying to say to us because we want to get it. And there's bits in the Bible that are awkward. There's bits in the Bible that are tough. But uh, the Bible says itself, it says, I think Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, you know what, guys, you got to rightly divide this word. you got to divide it up. you got to study to show yourself someone who's approved, who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And there's lots of ways to divide it. Uh, one of them is you got to divide it by the covenant. You can't read into the new covenant, old covenant things. you got to be able to divide it up that way. You've got to be able to divide up the word where you find things that don't necessarily look like Jesus and say, well, hold on a second. My God is a good and a loving God, and he's fully revealed himself to me in the person of Jesus. So what do I do with this ugly picture? I mean, we've got to talk about it, right? We can't ignore it. We can't pretend it doesn't exist, so we've got to do that. And Pastor Carl said last week, and, I, and he said this many, many times, you know, you've got to divide the word up. There's good news and there's good advice. And what that basically amounts to is this. You, do you remember when the, the angels came? I think it was the angels that came and spoke to the shepherds, and they said, you know, here's glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Today is born to you in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's glad tidings of great joy that will be for all people. There's good news that's applicable to everybody. Universally accepted, universally applicable good news for everybody. And then how that good news gets worked out in your life and what that means for you, well, that can vary from culture to culture, time to time. So there's good advice that gets worked out a little bit different ways. And I hope you know the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a collection of books. It's a collection of letters. It's more an anthology than it is an actual book. I mean, it's a bunch of different letters. And when you understand that, you can see, wow, the way Paul is writing to, say, the Christians in Corinthians is a little bit different than the way Peter is writing when he's writing to the, the saints who are scattered abroad in, uh, in all that region that would have been modern-day Turkey. So you can see, I mean, you can see it in the Bible yourself if you've got eyes to see. You can see how it's applicable in different places in different times. Even, even Paul says, you know what, guys, if you like to only eat vegetables, well, here you go. If you like to eat vegetables and meat, here's a different way for you to live. So, I mean, there's lots of individuality and subjectivity in how it gets worked out. But the good news is not subject to our subjective understanding. The good news is Jesus Christ died for all of humanity, was raised from the dead, and just by simple faith in him, we all get to participate in his life. That's it. That's universal. So suffering, we've got to understand, suffering is a very uh, contextualized thing. And if, it, if you don't feel like it's happening to you or it hasn't, I'm going to edify you today and help you to realize that it has. And I'm going to encourage you to help you to understand that it's going to. It says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, For it has been granted on behalf of Christ, excuse me, to you, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you for this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for granting that to me. Isn't that fantastic? Sorry, it's a little bit of water. 
Isn't that wonderful? And here's the thing, guys. Peter's going to say to us today, if you are going to suffer, which you will, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's going to happen. <laughs> if it's the will of God to suffer, suffer for doing good. Don't steal that pack of Cheetos and think it's not going to happen to you. See, we live in a fallen world. Randomness and brokenness, conflict, disconnection, ignorance running rampant. There's so many different competing agendas on planet Earth right now. I, I don't know if you know that. But there's a lot of different ideas of what should and shouldn't be happening. A lot of competing agendas. And in that environment, it is virtually impossible for you to not experience suffering to some degree or another. It's just a part of life. So I've come up with this fancy little uh, phrase that I think holds six ideas that we'll try and break down today real quick. But when it comes to suffering, we want to contextualize it. We don't want to aggrandize it. We don't want to make it bigger than it is. We want to recognize it so we don't minimalize it. So we don't want to just pretend it's not happening. And we don't want to just hunker down and survive it. We want to thrive in the middle of it. Because if it's going to happen, we're going to do well. So six big ideas there. We're just going to get through real quick. Contextualize, aggrandize, recognize, minimalize, survive, and thrive. Because I think if suffering is inevitable, and it sure is, Jesus has got something for us to be victorious in the middle of it. Amen? We're not just meant to suffer things and just take it and just like end up like, you know, poor pitiful me. No, he leads me in triumph in Christ Jesus, always. He's always leading me in triumph. So I've called this suffering and smiling because might, I might go through it, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to smile. And if you don't see me smiling, say, hey, Zach, come on, smile. <laughs> Thanks for that back there. <laughs> All right, number one, we're going to contextualize it. We're going to put it in context. So we're going to understand it. And you might be surprised to know this, but the word suffer, you might have a, in your head a, a picture of, you know, going through something awful. But this is really what it means. It's, in the Greek, it's the word pasko, and, uh, you know, what we get the word passion from. But it means to be acted upon. That's it. It means when you have to suffer the consequences of somebody or something else that you don't want and you have an emotional reaction to it, that's suffering. And as you can imagine, there is a, there's a massive range, a, a huge continuum upon which you might find your experience lies in the realm of suffering. Somebody might do something to you and minorly inconvenience you and you wish they didn't do it, but now you got to go cut the rain, you know, you got to go cut the lawn in the rain. Something like that, right? Somebody didn't take out the garbage and now you got to do it. And it's freezing cold outside. I mean, that's a pretty minor inconvenience, but somebody's made a decision that's impacted your life. And it might range all the way up into full-blown murder. And the people that we're reading about in the Bible today, that was a real threat for them. Imprisonment, going to jail, having their stuff confiscated, going, getting killed. So suffering's inevitable. When you, and when you consider it through that lens, I hope you can see that it is something we all go through. We live on planet Earth. We're interconnected with each other. We're bound to experience times where you get acted on. You have to suffer the consequence of something that you wish you didn't. And it's almost like it's completely out of your control. Now, sometimes it is in your control. If you are the guy that stole the bag of Cheetos, give it back. You know, the embarrassment you're going to suffer is because you did it. I don't know if that's suffering as much as it is consequences, but he, Peter says again, if you do suffer, don't suffer as a murderer as an evildoer, or get this one, as a busybody in people's affairs. But if you do suffer as a Christian, be happy. Let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. Suffering happens, and when it does, we want to contextualize it so we understand it, and we don't want to blow it out of proportion. We want to understand what's happening. It has a context. 
right? It has a space and a time. It's happening to you in a real place, and there's a real cause behind it. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's contextualize it, but we don't want to blow it up beyond what it's actually, what it really is. We don't want to make it bigger than it really is. We don't want to embrace a kind of victim mentality when we go through bad things. We don't want to invest meaning in it that it doesn't have. And one of the ways that you can aggrandize suffering and blow it out of proportion in your life is when you do just that. And oftentimes, it really is a well-meaning thing. You know, we want to, we, we don't like to suffer. Suffer's awful. When you go through something bad, it's not good, it's bad, right? So we want to find a way to get through it easily. We want to make sense of it. And so sometimes we can make it bigger than it really, really is. And oftentimes, we do that by investing it with some sort of divine purpose, and I want to say this to you today as, as honestly and as forcefully as I possibly can. There is no redemptive quality whatsoever to suffering. There is none. Suffering is suffering. It's not good. It's not fun. It will not bring about redemption in your life. And uh, that might hurt. I don't know. That might hurt to hear. But you know where redemption comes from? From the blood of Jesus. From his sufferings. Jesus went through a bunch of stuff so that he could, you can read about it in the book of Hebrews. He went through a bunch of stuff on our behalf so that he could help us and give us aid in our time of difficulty and suffering. He doesn't need us to go through bad things. He went through the bad things so that when we encounter them, he is able to help us. He's able to say, hey, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, got the grace and the power to give you to help you get through it. So there's no redemptive quality in suffering. Redemption comes through the blood of Jesus. Suffering doesn't make us like him. It doesn't transform your character. It doesn't make you like Jesus. It doesn't make you fruitful in the sense that you're like him in your nature or you become like him in your results from life. Look at this, John chapter 15. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, that's the person who bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, without me, and by going through a whole bunch of awful stuff, you can't do anything. He says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me. The fruitful person, the person who, who, who manifests the nature of Christ and gets the results of Christ, isn't the person who's gone on this horrible 40-year journey of life, who's now finally arrived and qualified in a position to be able to now, you know, give something special from God. It's simply the person who abides in Christ and who, in whom Christ abides. Anybody here can say that about yourself? You're in Christ and Christ is in you? Then you're, I'm sorry to say it, but you're destined to be a fruitful person. You will manifest the nature and the character of Jesus Christ and you will get the results of Jesus Christ because he lives inside of you and you live inside of him. Don't disqualify yourself because you haven't gone through something. Don't disqualify yourself because you feel like you haven't dealt with your suffering well enough. You get to bear fruit because Christ is in you. And that's it. Galatians 5, and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. God doesn't, you know, some people ask for patience, right? And then they believe that God has given them a, a nightmarish life scenario in order to learn patience. But you know what? Actually, God gives you patience so that you can suffer. He doesn't make you suffer so you can get patience. He gives you the fruit of long suffering. It's a patience that God gives you. And it's just the fruit of Jesus living inside of you by his Holy Spirit. 
So, I mean, we could go on and on, there, but I'm really telling you, there is no redemptive quality to suffering. Suffering stinks. I don't like it. I really don't. But here, here's one more big one. I got to say this. I think I got a note for this as well. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Some people think that suffering brings them closer to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You can't get any closer to God than that. All right, let's do a little experiment. Let's, let's take our hands. Put your hands up in the air like this. All right, let's say this one is God. This one is me. Some people's vision of, of, of their relationship to God is like this. And if I do the right things, maybe if I suffer stuff, maybe that distance is going to get closed. Maybe the gap's going to close until, wow, until maybe if I suffer enough, if I go through just enough, I'm going to learn how to walk with God, and we're going to be like this. We're going to be super tight, super close, no distance, no gap between us. But do you know what it means to be one with Jesus? It means this. Interlock your fingers. That's what you are with Jesus. You are inseparably interlinked, and you're suffering. You know what? It doesn't actually draw you any closer. I mean, when you go through something, you might be inclined to dig a little deeper and say, wow, I'm going to unpack the reality of my union with Jesus. And that's a different thing altogether. A lot of people, when they go through difficulty, that is actually not the default position. The default position is to, to get angry and to run in the other direction. I mean, you can read about it in the book of Revelation, too. A lot of people think, well, there's going to come a day when God's going to do all sorts of suffering on planet Earth, and then people are going to come to their senses, turn, and say, okay, God, will finally accept you. But if you read the book, there's actually a moment in Revelation where it says these people who are experiencing awful things, you know what their response was? To curse God. See, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. It's the goodness. He's too good to not believe. Maybe people don't believe because they don't see that he's good. He's too good not to believe. Now, what about this? You know, my suffering, I want to be like Jesus in it. And Jesus, Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. So I'm just being like Jesus. God's working out in my life the same process that he worked out in Jesus. But I got to tell you, that was true of Jesus. It's not true of us. See, Jesus did a lot of things that you and I can't do. We want to be like Jesus, and I'll tell you what, the only hope you have of ever manifesting anything that looks like Jesus is recognizing that he lives inside of you and living out of that reality. But Jesus did a lot of things that we can't do. And by that, I mean he died on the cross for the salvation of the whole world. He died in blood. You can't do that. I'd recommend against trying it. Some people call it a savior complex, right? We don't want to aggrandize our suffering to the point that we, uh, you know, we, we muddy the waters and we don't understand and we don't live in the benefits of what Jesus did for us. I'll tell you what, life is arranged and designed in such a way, like just the way the world works. You're going to get enough suffering. You don't need to help the devil out. You don't need to help life out. Embrace the fullness of what Jesus did for you. Live out of that. And you know what? Whether you like it or not, you will suffer. But you don't have to invite it. You don't have to be one of those pain-seeking people who are trying to advance in the purpose of God because you're proud of your sufferings. That's like the very heart, the very core of legalism. It's not cool. Jesus vicariously learned obedience. He never sinned once. And in the course of his life, 
He brought back wayward humanity. He bent the will of fallen humanity back into alignment with the Father. And I think when he said in the garden, Father, not my will be done, but yours, it's like he took humanity, the fallen wayward will of humanity, brought it back into alignment with the Father, even to the point of death. Jesus vicariously obeyed on my behalf. And now I'm not saying my life is not a life of obedience to God, but I'm saying that my obedience to God is predicated upon my faith in Jesus. Now I'm instructed, bring every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ, not Zach. So now I'm in the obedience of faith. My faith in Jesus Christ produces results in my life that I could never attain to if obedience was my main goal. He actually says, you know what? I'm not even going to call you servants anymore. That's not the kind of relationship I want to have with you. I call you friends. Hosea chapter 2, Jesus says, I'm going to take you into the wilderness just like it was before because I want you to learn not to call me my servant master anymore. He says, I want you to call me my, my husband. That's not the relationship God has with us. And I'll tell you why this is so important when we talk about suffering. Greg Boyd in his book, Is God to Blame? He says, our picture of God not only influences our emotional response to God, but it strongly influences our understanding of everything else in life. It influences how we interpret suffering and evil in our lives. And I hope you, as a Christian, you want to live out the truth. And I'm just going to be very frank with you right now. I think we need to let go of the language that makes God, our good, loving father, look like an abuser of his kids who puts them through hell in order to bring about his purpose in their lives. That's not God. Actually, and frankly, that kind of language prolongs the acuity of your pain in the midst of your suffering because you think God is the one who's perpetrating it against you. But if he's the source of my suffering, how can I trust him to bring me out of it? If he's the perpetrator of these evils against my life, how can I simultaneously trust him to comfort me in it? If God is against me, how can he also be for me? We can't have our cake and eat it. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. A tree is known for its fruits. I'm telling you right now, our good and loving Father, our gracious God, who's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, does not do bad things to anybody. He is good. Jesus, out of the mouth of the Son of God, make the tree good and its fruit good. I'm telling you, the tree that is God, the tree of life that is Jesus Christ is good. Therefore, his fruit is good. And you might say, well, wait, his, his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Come on, Zach, he does things in your life that you don't know. Your limited understanding, you just can't get it. And I would point you to Jesus, the highest revelation of who God is. I would point you to a picture of what God really looks like. And we look at God in the face of Jesus Christ. What do we see when he encountered suffering? In every instance, he went to heal it, alleviate it, cure it, deliver people from it. There's not a place, I would challenge you to find a place in the Bible where Jesus says, this happened to so-and-so in order that this might happen. It's not there. It's not there. The God who reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ shows up on the scene of suffering and says, I want to help you. My power is here and available. If you will only believe, you will see the glory of God. I'm telling you, this is so important to get it. Not just personally, but how we see other people. I mean, if you don't understand this, you might look at somebody who's going through it. And instead of having empathy and compassion, you might say, well, hey, God's actually working something out in your life. So, uh, well, stinks to be you. But I hope you get it quickly. 
right? No, no, God's called us. Jesus says was manifest in order to destroy the works of the devil. And the devil's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, not God. So as, he's, as he was sent into the world, so he sent us. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Go and destroy the works of the devil. When you find suffering, alleviate it. When you find people in pain, cure it, heal it, help it. So much so, you know what, Jesus, even when the people rejected him, and you can find this in Matthew 24, I think it's Luke 21 and Mark 13, Jesus saw a day when something awful was going to happen to the Jewish people. And instead of saying to them, you know what, you guys are going to get your comeuppance. You don't know the things that make for your peace. You know what, I'm sorry about that. You guys are going to roast like crispy critters. He advised them and he tried to help them to escape. And by that, I'm talking about this great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24, when every single Christian, every single person who took the word of God in the, in the mouth of Jesus Christ and obeyed it and left were spared the destruction that happened on the Jewish people in AD 70. God's idea of suffering is that he wants to help you to be healed and whole in the midst of it. He wants to help you to avoid it. He doesn't want you to go through it. Got to have that settled in our hearts. We really, really do. We got to recognize it. Because God does. Dear friends, it says in 1 Peter 4.12, don't be surprised at the various trials you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. And I hope you know from the book of James, it actually tells us, that, well, this word trial, first of all, it actually means trial or test or temptation. Trial, test, or temptation. And it's up to the, the translator to determine what it means. And I hope you know that God is not the one who tests or tries or, or tempts anybody. It says in James, God doesn't tempt you. You're tempted by your own weird desires, not because of God. So don't be surprised, he says, when it happens. Recognize it for what it is. It's not God testing you. In fact, I can't think of a more ungodly, anti-Christian. Sorry, I'm laughing, but I can't think of a more anti-Christian perspective than this. God is going to make me go through bad things so that if I pass the test, I can get to the next level. No, that's not how that works. God doesn't give you trials and tests. Any particular, oh my goodness, could you imagine? Like we homeschool our kids. Could you imagine? What would you say to me and my wife if I told you that the way we test our kids and get them from one grade to the next is we make them go through horrible, trying, painful things? I mean, that's awful. Why would that be acceptable from God? Right? Come on, that's not the God we see in the person of Jesus. He's not the one who tests us. You know everything that you have in your life and you ever will have? Anything that you want to aspire to in Christianity? Anything that you're like, man, I just wish I could be like this or have that? Do you know that's going to happen in your life by accepting the free gift of grace and the abundance or the, the abundance of yeah. grace and the free gift of righteousness? Yeah. It's not through any other way. It's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift from beginning to end. It's laid hold of and lived out by faith from first to last. And it's the gift of God to you, the grace of the life of the Son of God inside of you. That's it. So this whole idea of suffering is as a trial and a test. No, we don't want that. I want to recognize it for what it is. It's a direct action against you. It's a random happening in a broken and a messed up world. And you know what? Something happened to you for no good reason is a reason. We live in a broken world. Things don't make sense. Things don't happen the way that they should happen. Sometimes you go through something awful, and there is no reason for it whatsoever. I'll tell you what, you can drive yourself crazy trying to find the reason. But sometimes no good reason is a good reason, because we live in a fallen and a broken world. But God's attitude is not ambivalence. It's not, well, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm going to try and work something out. God's attitude is aggressively, I'm going to help you through this. 
God's attitude isn't aggressive. I want to help you avoid it if we can. And if you got to go through it, I'm going to bring you through it victoriously. And I'm actually going to take this bad thing and turn it around for good. So don't, don't minimalize it. Don't say it doesn't matter. Don't say, don't write it off. Don't ignore it. Don't say it's ineffective or impotent because sometimes it really is. I mean, suffering stinks. And one of the ways to actually profound or, you know, uh, uh, complicate its impact upon you is to pretend that it didn't happen or doesn't exist. Right? So we got to be able to process things. Be honest. Be hopeful. But don't fear. Keep smiling. And smile, not because, again, it's not happening to you, but smile because you've got hope in God. First Peter 3, 14 to 16 says, Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason that you're going through bad things. If you're tracking in your Bible, it doesn't actually say that. It says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Our lives are characterized by hope. So face it. Be rooted in hope. Don't fear. Know that this Jesus, 1 Peter 3.22, that we have to do with, he's at the right hand of God. Angels, authorities, and powers are made subject to him. He is Lord. He is our hope. He's the one who's going to defend you. He's the one who's going to protect you. He's the one who's going to reward you. He's the one who will be the end of your story. When you're going through it in relationships with people, 1 Peter 4, verse 4 to 5, I don't know if this has ever been your experience, but you want to walk with Jesus and you've made some different decisions in your life. And then people that you used to be friends with or you used to hang out with are all like, what's wrong with you? That's actually in the Bible. 1 Peter 4, verse 4 to 5, in the of course, he says, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. They can't understand why he didn't want to do it with them anymore. So it says, so they slander you. They speak ill of you. That, that hurts. Come on, let's pretend it doesn't happen. Let's pretend it doesn't matter. That hurts. That's suffering for Jesus. You might not be dying in the missionary field or whatever, but come on, something bad's happening to you. But remember this, they're going to have to face God who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And here's the beautiful thing about that. You too are going to face God. And you know what you're going to hear? Loved. Well done. Redeemed. Accepted in the beloved. And they're going to hear God speak that over you as well. You don't have to run. You don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend suffering isn't happening. You run to God who's the judge of the living and the dead and let him be the one who validates you. Let him be the one who recognizes you and says to you, I see that. I see that hurts. I see the way that impacted you. I'm going to apply my healing love to your heart. He affirms you and he has the last word over you. When we go through suffering, guys, another point I want to make is I, I don't think God wants us to just kind of grin and bear it and survive it. I think he wants to thrive in the midst of it. So I love this, 1 Peter 4, 7. He's talking about suffering and then he goes off on this little thing where, but he says, the end of all things is at hand. I love that. You ever go through something and the temptation is to get terminal? even hysterical in your language. I mean, particularly in these days. I mean, we hear things like that. That's it. It's the worst it's ever been. If this keeps happening, it's all over. Jesus, come back now. It's the end times for sure. We adopt terminal language when things get tough. And I love that he contextualized suffering with this statement. The end of all things is at hand. But I'll tell you what, clearly in the midst of suffering, and even what Peter says with a view he has towards the end, Peter has so much more in mind for the followers of Jesus than just survive it. Just get through it somehow. 
No, he says things like this. He says, don't fear. Don't be frightened. Be prepared. Arm yourselves. Before everybody gets too excited, that means with a mentality, with a mindset. <laughs> I was thinking I should probably add more quote there so nobody goes out and buys a gun and says, this is what God wants me to do for my suffering. No, no, he said, forgive those. He said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Don't arm yourselves against them. I only say that somewhat joking. Be alert. Love deeply. Offer hospitality. Rejoice. Commit. I mean, clearly, he is not just in survival mode. These are not the words you tell somebody when you're secretly trying to advise them to hide in a basement, buy a bucket of food, and a generator. He's saying, come on, get involved in life. Prosper. He's like, I want you to, to flourish, to grow vigorously. And here's how that works. See, God in thriving, God has a unique way of bringing the best out of us when the devil's trying to do his worst to us. Think about Jesus. Perfect love, perfect grace. He came and he shared his truth. He came and he shared peace. He came and reconciled us to God. He didn't do anything wrong. He just loved people. He healed people. He alleviated suffering. He didn't cause it. And what did the human race do to him? And I hope you know it was the human race. Jews and Gentiles killed him. We would have too, but by the grace of God. Because it was a sinful nature problem. It wasn't a Jewish problem, and it wasn't a Roman problem. It was a human problem. Humanity killed God in partnership with the devil. Now talk about suffering. Talk about being acted upon in an unpleasant way by the devil, by the world, by people. Talk about having your options narrowed when you're hanging on a cross with two nails through your wrists and one through your ankles. When the sin of the whole world is bearing down upon you and you feel its grip to the point where you can barely even see God anymore and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered. He suffered in a way you and I can't even imagine. Now, Peter also got crucified, but I'll tell you what, what Jesus did by embracing the sins of the whole world, I'll tell you what, we can't imagine that kind of suffering. But I'll tell you what happened in the midst of it. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, it says that the rulers of the world understood what they were doing. They would not have crucified our glorious Lord. What did they not understand? They did not understand the wisdom of God to use the very suffering that they perpetrated upon Jesus to bring about the salvation of the world. See, God didn't make Jesus suffer. You can read it so many times in the book of Acts. We did. The devil found willing co-conspirators in fallen humanity, and we put God to death. But in the midst of his suffering, what did God do? He took that same event, and he brought about the salvation of the whole world. Thank you, Jesus is right. Come on, that's what God's doing in our lives. When you feel like you're suffering, God is not causing it, but he is with you in it. And I'm telling you, he's going to turn that thing around for good. And when the devil's trying to do his worst to you, God is going to bring out the best in you because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. So you can rejoice to the extent that you participate in Christ's sufferings. It says, when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. When you suffer as a Christian, you can know this. This is in the Bible, 1 Peter 4.14. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, doing in your life the exact same thing that happened for Jesus. He went through it. He suffered. And God turned that same event into the most amazing act of redemption the world has ever seen. God did it. 
God didn't cause the suffering, but he took the event. I'm telling you, you can know that today. God's not the author, the source, or the cause of your suffering in your life. But if you got eyes to see, the spirit of God and of glory is at rest upon you. And he is working out in your life to bring something for good that you couldn't even imagine before this thing happened. Does he need suffering to do that? No. But he, we live in a world where God has decided to honor the choices of people. He's decided to honor the fact that we make decisions that have consequences. He's decided to honor the fact that we live in a world that's fallen. It collectively has the impact of randomness in it. And sometimes there is no good. There is no good reason. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes there is. These Christians were being hunted and persecuted on purpose. I mean, you might recognize this kind of language, but they were actually in a situation where if they didn't engage in the worship of the emperor at a guild meeting, they couldn't buy, sell, and trade. These guys, if they didn't get a mark put on their head or their hand indicating that they'd engaged in idol worship or the worship of the emperor, weren't allowed to participate in life. They were kicked out of society. I mean, the Romans thought these were bad people. But you know what? Even in the midst of that, you know what Peter says? He says, you guys can thrive. 1 Peter 4, 8 to, 8 to 10, he says, in the midst of all this, I don't want you to hide in your basements. I don't want you to tuck away somewhere. Yeah, we're going to adapt some of our, our practices. Like, yeah, we're going to adjust some things. And we heard a little bit about that last week where Peter was actually teaching husbands and wives, you know what? You're totally free. You guys are co-equal heirs of the grace of life. But because we live in the circumstances we live right now, let's not give them a reason to get us. And praise God, the influence of Christianity upon human civilization has advanced us to such a point where we're now able to push back against those things in a way that they couldn't. But we now can because people like that over the generations faithfully stood for Christ in the middle of their, per their persecuted circumstances. So we have the benefit of that. We can push back against that. They couldn't. And he says to those people, enduring those things, he says, above all things, guys, I want you to have fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Don't hide from each other. Don't run scared. Get engaged. Get involved. I mean, the harder it seems for you guys, that's the time you got to step up. That's the time you got to serve. That's the time as a recipient of the manifold grace of God, you need to manifest that thing and put it into action so others can benefit from it, especially in hard times. We need each other. And Peter's saying, come on, guys, let's all get, in, get involved. Let's get in the game. Now's the time to belong, to connect, to love, to serve actively and passionately with the gifts God's given you, no matter what the suffering is. Don't let it knock you into survival mode. Suffering's inevitable. As we saw in Philippians, it's been given, it's been granted, thank you, Jesus, to us to suffer with him. Not because he's appointed us to suffering, but because our faith in him, the choices we make when we prioritize our lives around his love, his grace, and his goodness, it's going to make us stand out. And sometimes people are going to make decisions against us. Sometimes there's things that we can't even see. The Bible calls them principalities, powers, and rulers in wicked places. Sometimes those things would act against us. Sometimes it's the authorities. Sometimes it's just life itself. But things are going to happen to you. You live in a, in a messed up world. And sometimes it's a direct result of the choices that you've made to follow Jesus. Sometimes that happens. We've been called to share in Christ's life. That means we get the life and the glory and the goodness that's in the life of Christ. But we also get to experience, praise be to Jesus, we get to experience the consequences of living out his life. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a scenario where somebody has not appreciated the, the life and the love and the power and the joy of God in your life, and they've responded in a weird way to you. Sometimes people persecute Christians. It happens all over the world. As a result of embracing the life and the light of Christ, sometimes that happens. You just got to know it's not the plan of God. It's not the action of God. It's not the requirement of God. He didn't orchestrate it. He didn't inflict it. And in many ways, you can actually read the Bible and see that suffering is not even something that's guaranteed because it's not something that God is orchestrating. It's dependent upon the people in your world. 1 Peter 3.14, even if you should suffer, if you should suffer, 1 Peter 1.6, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. And that if need be there is in the context of you're going to live out your, your genuine and authentic faith. And if in the process of living out an authentic faith in Jesus Christ, you need to suffer, suffer. Don't give up the authenticity of your faith in Jesus. Don't be disingenuine. Hold fast to faith in Jesus, even if it means you're suffering. It's not because God needs them to suffer. 1 Peter 4.19, it says, let, Then let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. And again, i got to point out, it's suffering according to the will of God, not because of the will of God or, or because it's God's will that you do. Without getting into all the Greek here, he's saying basically in the pursuit of the will of God, if you end up suffering, commit your souls to him in doing good. He's not saying it's God's will for that to happen to you. But if in your pursuit of his will it does... And who's ever experienced that? Sometimes you make decisions in following Jesus and things don't necessarily work out the way you thought they would. You're not always responded to the way you hoped it would. Sometimes you encounter difficulties in life and setbacks that you didn't imagine. Commit your souls, he says, to him in doing good. So suffering, guys, it's no good. It's no good. But it's been granted on, a, on behalf of Christ for us to suffer with him. So we want to do this. We want to contextualize it. We don't want to blow it up. We don't want to make it bigger than it is. We don't want to give meaning to it that it doesn't have. We want to recognize it. We don't want to minimalize it and say, oh, that doesn't hurt. You know, somebody made fun of me at work because I believe in Jesus. Oh, that doesn't matter because there's people dying in Afghanistan right now. It is two totally different things. And the advice to both groups of people is totally different. But you suffering at work for Jesus also matters. It matters to Jesus. And he's going to help you through it. He doesn't want you just to survive it, grin and bear it, pretend it's not happening. He actually has a plan for your life to see you thrive in the midst of it. And he's able to do it. He's fully able to do it. First Peter 4.13, it says this, Rejoice, smile, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. When you go through something because of your fidelity to Jesus Christ and the expression of his life inside of you, that is the same as Jesus' suffering. That's why it's called Christ's sufferings, because it is a response to his life inside of you. That is when glory is revealed. And when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. Suffering happens, guys, but let's smile. Let's not pretend it doesn't exist. Let's not ignore it. Let's deal with it. We live in a fallen world. But praise God, he always leads me in triumph in Christ Jesus. He says he's going to work all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That does not say he works all things. He's the worker of all things. It says in all things, he brings about good. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good. We got a good and a loving God. He loves us, and we can expect goodness, love, and more love from that person. Not, not, not awful things. But I tell you what, if you're going through it, he's going to help you. Amen? Amen. Amen.